That's not the one. I, oh, I didn't click on the real intro. Uh, <laughs> rookie mistake. Real. Happy Friday morning, everybody. It is the Daily News right here on Canadian Football Perspective. Thank you for being here with us. We always enjoy having you along for the ride. The morning after, you'll... 9-0 Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Just keep on rolling. They just figure out ways, eh? Like, that's oh that's God. just their thing. Is it's, I mean, <laughs> offense, you know, Zach played not great, not a typical Zach, but Montreal just couldn't score on them. It's, you know, they had all the chances in the world. The fourth quarter takes off for Winnipeg. They get, you know, a couple interceptions. They get that return touchdown, which was a killer. Um, but, yeah, Montreal, I don't know. I can't help I, I cannot help but watch Montreal. And especially because of how we've been kind of talking about them, you know, with VA and then yeah, yeah. how we talked about them recently. And you're just kind of like, God, like I, I like a lot of guys on that team, but I really am okay with them not doing well. <laughs> well, and it's the East Division, I'm not gonna be like, you know, Derek Taylor and I are the prophets and we saw exactly what was coming. But like we really do think Ottawa is significantly better than their record shows at this point in the season and i think that's going to start to show here and i think montreal is finally going to start to expose themselves as frauds like i so i sent out gino lewis target chart i did a thing the other night mike where oh i should mention by the way thank you to fox 40 for supporting us start your season off right with products from our partners at fox 40 outfit your coaching staff custom logo whistles gear coaching boards and more visit fox40shop.com use the code cfp15 at checkout for 15 percent off of your entire order thank you to them as always for supporting everything we're doing around here uh by the way i got us i think uh a place in hamilton that's going to give us uh free haircuts for the rest of the cfl season uh for mentioning them on the podcast here so come on you're welcome yeah and it's nice i need one oh same buddy like uh, if i'm gonna have a bunch of games on tv through the rest of the season i can't be going on tv with a rug on my head so (laughs) uh uh, so anyways i sent out earlier this week hey if you guys want to see any receiver target charts let me know first one that came in was somebody saying gino so i put it together and it was like okay yeah he works a lot of like uh, you know, quick game stuff, but more of that is kind of like Herjie Mayala and Cam Julian Grant and Reggie White Jr., who's been really good for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you look down the right sideline, and I mentioned this on the breakdown with Derek Taylor this week. He is having so much success on the right sideline, 20 yards plus, just catching balls that Trevor throws as high as he possibly can, and Gino just goes and gets it, that he's literally skewing the numbers for the entire league. Because when mm-hmm. I put together the league-wide target chart, it was like this weird anomaly of, huh, why, why is there so much success over there? And then I went and looked at Gino's numbers. I'm like, it's one receiver who's making this entire league-wide number look different than it usually is. And then last night, I'm sitting with my dad watching the game, and I, I said to him several times, hey, remember that target chart that I showed you of Gino Lewis where it seems like most of Montreal's offense when they're in trouble is just, Let's throw it as high as we can down the right sideline and maybe he'll make a play. It was like three times last night in the same yeah. part part of the field where he just went up and got it and was dunking on dudes. Like even Davis and Milt did a thing on the, I think on the pregame uh, show where they were talking about as a defensive back, how do you defend Gino Lewis on those jump balls? And Davis was saying, if you don't want to get dunked on, don't jump. Like he, uh, right. he, he goes up to go and get it. You're not going to climb the ladder with him. You might as well wait down on the ground. And then as he starts to come down, just punch and rip and tear at his arms or whatever you got to do to get it out. But like, that's, that feels like that's what their offense is right now. When you talk about Montreal. Well, it's funny because like a typical, 
a typical second down play first down two, but a typical second down play, you'll see them bring in like a fullback. And this isn't just Montreal. Like, right. you know, you and I talk about this all the time. This league is a copycat league. So when you see it work with one team, you know, eight other teams are going to be using it that next week or the week after whatever right. it might be. But what a lot of people do is they'll, you know, get extra protection. And if they need a chunk play, all they'll do is they'll run that slot on a post, eat up the high defender right there. And they don't care who's out there. They're going to give their best guy a shot. Now that generally we call that a 50, 50 ball, right? Where you throw it up there and, you know, two guys are trying to go up and fight for it. But with Gino Lewis, I mean, even the one late in the game last game where I forget who was, who was defending them on the time, but he actually was in a good spot. Gino bobbled it, but ended up coming down with it on like a, it was like a bobble and then he dove and he caught it. And you just sit there and you're like, this guy, man, he catches everything, but you can tell that's kind of Trevor Harris's go-to right now is it's man, I can't get anything figured out. We're just going to throw it up well, to Gino over here. Well, this is the thing, like he can get things figured out, but just nothing 20 plus. Right. Like, so he can do the Trevor Harris stuff of play action behind the line of scrimmage and where you've got a fullback leading around and you slip Reggie White in behind him, you get a lead blocker in front of him. And it's like, they're doing dink and dunk as well as anybody in the league because they have Trevor and because it's Anthony Calvillo and they understand the CFL game. But my thing is like, you're a professional, and, and this is not just me banging on Trevor. This is like my frustration watching the Montreal offense after the Montreal offense I thought I would be watching all year. Yeah, they were inconsistent. They might have not done the dink and dunk stuff as well, but they were getting it 20 plus consistently and pushing the football with VA, right? And oh, it's yeah. like, and it's so it's like, I see Calvillo there with Harris and Danny Bachocha being able to have his say. I'm like, how can you not generate, like, where the hell is Jake Wineke? Like over, well, the, over the middle of the field. Like, this is the thing that I'm, I'm enamored with is like, Jake is the one who's running the eat up the free safety, hold him inside just to keep, Gino one-on-one on the outside and give him a chance to make that 50-50 catch and it's like yeah but you, like he's he was so good last year how is it possible that he's now being used as decoy guy because you can't run a concept that's intricate enough to be able to open him up over the middle of the field where he was so dominant last year I think what part of it is is and you know it, Trevor Harris's arm I think is getting weaker as this goes on, which happens, right? Yeah. Which happens to a lot. Of, I mean, you saw it happen to Ricky Ray, but Ricky Ray could still get that corner ball out on time. If he'd ever see man, he'd just lob that thing out there, but it'd be good timing. But I think that's kind of what you're seeing. And, you know, the typical what you're used to with Jake is VA could scramble a little bit and then still get that thing out there 50, 60 yards, right? And that's when Jake would be hitting those big digs or, getting into like the deep routes or the double moves, right? Or even, or even scramble rules. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But now I think with, with Trevor Harris's arm and just the way he plays, he's trying to get that thing out right now, right away. That Those 15, 20-yard routes, unless they're thrown like right now, snap, get it, anticipate, throw it early, get it out there, I don't think those are coming out, right? Because even when you look at the Geno Lewis catches, that's he throws that almost instantly. And it's up into the air. Like, it's a it's a lob ball. Now, I understand because Gino's going to go up and rebound it. That's kind of the idea of it. But he's got to go now in order to get that ball out there because I think for him, that's a long throw with his arm. I'm not saying it's it's weak, but it's not strong in the CFL standards. Yeah, definitely. And it, there's some guys that uh, they flick it out there effortlessly. And one of them, yeah. he was playing against him last night because for Zach, like his lower body and his mechanics are so – 
so sound now. Like, I don't, I don't really know. I, I would love to talk to him about how he's been able to, to change and evolve his delivery and how he gets the football out. And I don't even mean like arm angle or stuff like that. I mean, the touchdown that he had against Dalton Schoen or for uh, against Edmonton, where he threw it to Dalton Schoen, where he beat Deron Carter, which by the way, watching Deron try to tackle in the open field was amazing. Uh, <laughs> but it always is. It just makes me laugh. Uh, but he was like shuffling to his left and basically like took a, like almost like a, a 10 degree shift of his hips to kind of like coil them. And then as he coiled them, he's just like, whoop, and the ball's just gone in. It's like 40 yards on a rope. And that's what you're saying is Trevor doesn't have a weak arm. Trevor just doesn't have that lower body, like Wah! where it yeah. just cut, comes out and you're like, oh my God, the pace on this thing. And it's 40, 50 yards down the field. Funny note as well, just out of curiosity the other day, I, I took every throw that I have through the CFL season. I think it's 2,117 throws so far. And I sorted it. Based, I sorted it based on depth. And I just, I wanted to kind of like ask the question to people who has the deepest attempted throw of the CFL season thus far in 2022. And it made me laugh the result partially because it wasn't worth tweeting out because it was a Hail Mary attempt. So it wasn't an actual like football play, Oh yeah, yeah. but it was Vernon Adams Jr. Uh, he put one in week one against Calgary on a Hail Mary 65 yards in the air. Whoa. And yeah, and it, the, that number 65, like the next closest one is like 44 yards. And I was like, yeah, obviously it's a Hail Mary. So it's kind of out of context. Yeah, yeah. He's, but Yeah, he's laying that thing up. Right. But at the same time, I, I looked at it and I just thought, man, after watching a game like that for Montreal, where it's just like, do, 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 all the way along the line of scrimmage, even uh, when Montreal was in Hamilton a week ago, I was sitting with a group of friends. And at one point in the third quarter, one of my friends who doesn't know a ton about the CFL, but has Ticat season tickets, just likes to go for the fan experience to have beers with friends and whatever. He turns to me and he goes, I hate the Trevor Harris experience <laughs> <laughs> because he hadn't seen him live before. And I was like, and I, I know why he's saying that, right? Because he's like an NFL guy who watches a lot of like, well, likes the Patrick Mahomes and the big arms and the deep throws and Josh Allen. And, but he turned to me and said, I hate the Trevor Harris experience. And I just said, what do you mean? He goes, it feels like nothing happens. And he just ends up in the end zone sometimes. And I was like, <laughs> that's kind of an interesting take from somebody who's, it's almost like when you were like asking kids about like, oh, did you have fun today at soccer practice? They're like, right. They're like, yeah, it was like being on the moon. And you're like, like you, you get these weird opinions, but you're like, oh, you're seeing things from a different way than I am. So maybe I have to trust you on this one. So, well, but that's, that's just his way of playing, right? He just kind of, yeah. he dink and dunks, but we say that now we say that now, but we also have to take a step back and remember when they're putting 40 up at the beginning of the season, when he yeah. first came in. Right. And it's like, what's, what's the, what's the miss here? Well, I'll tell you what it is, is it's Winnipeg's defense. Winnipeg's defense, no matter what the result is of that offense, right? And when Zach's on, you can see them. They just blow people out. But if he's not playing, like, as well as he has been, it doesn't matter because that defense is lights out. And now yeah. they have Jeff Coat back. And I'll tell you what, with, with Jeff Coat and, and, and Willie, that's that's too hard for any offense to deal yeah. with, man. And, and Sales has been good on the inside for them, and, and Thompson's yeah. still doing his thing. Like Jake is still balling out in there, and and I think the thing that struck me last night in the moment that Janarian Grant returned that uh, that punt return for the touchdown was that in Edmonton Zach had seven completions. They won that night. It was the defense. Yeah, the game last night. Not that the offense was not good. 
because last night you end up having uh Kalaros go 15 of what did he have here uh do, 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 do. i have two games pulled up between the bottom 35 20 yeah so last night zach ends up going 15 of 26 210 two touchdowns, but he did have three interceptions. Like he put them in some bad spots by giving shorter fields to Montreal where they couldn't really capitalize and they finished with a bunch of field goals. And so the offense wasn't great last night. The defense at times last night wasn't that their best. They were still playing at a very high level, but last night was the game where the special teams comes through. Yeah. And and you can say, well, they gave up the big returns to Tyson Philpott and all the rest. That's true. Like coverage units, maybe. But in terms of the return game, to me, it was like, great complementary football teams ones that are capable to go to historic levels of wins and losses and putting them together over a, an extended period of time everybody takes their turn and honestly Mike you and I experienced that at Mac where mm-hmm. like when we had Quinlan it was oh my god the offense but then it was like whoa for a while there when I was a starter it was like our defense really had to carry us our defense in our running game in like 2013 2014 and then once in a while it would just be like oh Kropini is just going to bang these field goals from ridiculous places and we're going to get big returns and it was like everybody would take their turn and at the end of the season you would look back and you'd say well really like a third of these wins were the offense a third of these wins were the defense and a third of these wins felt like we just out schemed teams or we won on special teams or we had a fake punt that went to a first down or whatever it might be and that's when you're in that the way that you and I had it at McMaster you feel going into every game like oh it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. I got I got faith in everybody around me that somebody's going to take their turn of being great tonight and they're going to be the reason that we win and after well, experiencing that was, that, that I was just, a I perfect look at, i look at winnipeg and i think they, they they seem like a team right now going into every game saying all of us want to be great but we have faith that if any of us don't have our best night somebody else will pick it up and help us get this thing done yeah and that's kind of what i had experienced most recently was the uh the 29 the 2019 tie cats yeah where we went 13 and three or whatever it was and it was exactly that. It was, you know, you couldn't point at the team and say, what's our best third of the football game, right? It was, well, we're all the best. It's just which one's going to show up, mm. right? But that's exactly what you need, though. That's that's generally when you look at it, you need to win two of three to win the game, right? If you tie two of them, that's when the games are close. But you can just, you can always go back and look. And be like, okay, did they win the special teams battle in defense? Well, they, they probably won the game. Did they win offense and defense? Well, they probably won the game. Did they? That's not rocket science, right? Anybody can figure that out. Right. But when you start peeling it back, it's okay. When you look at Winnipeg, they can get the ball out there. They can get the explosions, right? Their defense can turn it over. And in every coaching room ever, those two are the key factors of winning games, Right explosions so how many deep plays you can make you know 25 plus pass you know 10 or 15 plus run because that'll turn field position and get you points right and then turnovers that's also field position which turns into points as well when you look at this Montreal team and just what I was thinking is the explosions aren't really going to be there as much unless it's Gino right the defense had some turnovers last game the special teams went well but when you don't have the explosions, you don't win the turnover battle, you're not going to win the game, right? And that's kind of what you see with Winnipeg is, I mean, how many times do you see Zach just firing one out there to Dalton Schoen, to, you know, Ellingson when he's there, to really whoever stepped in next. Yeah. Agadosi, you know I mean? like Carlton Agadosi came in yeah. for a little while, and they're like, we'll just throw it up to you and let you make plays. And then it's like, oh, look, Rashid Bailey's open in the end zone. And then Wallace And then Tart- the other thing, too, is then they hand it off to, to Oliveira and yeah. – 
you know, when Johnny was in it, even at the end of games, they're able, which is the hardest thing to do is when everybody knows you're going to run the ball, Yeah, you know, you're going to run the ball and you run the ball and you get first downs on two downs, first and second down, you're getting first downs. And that's what Winnipeg's able to do. And yeah, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can keep it going. Cause you, you know, the CFL, it always swings. Well, especially once Labor Day, you see kind of teams come up by it. But they've beat Calgary twice, right? Who else is close? BC. Well, Dwayne had a great point, I thought, on the broadcast last night where he said, like, <laughs> with the East being down overall and Winnipeg being so dominant, we're headed towards a crossover situation most likely where Saskatchewan, I think, will be the crossover team. Edmonton will be the lone team that's out of the playoffs. And you'll likely have – I'm not even going to guess who's going to come out of the East because I got no clue at this point. But um, – and his point was, if Winnipeg is as good as they have been and they get down the stretch, how do you keep your routine? And I'm sure we'll talk about this in later episodes, so we don't have to, but how do you possibly keep your routine regular if you clinch first place in the West Division by Labor Day? Like, at that, at that point, you have no reason to allow anybody to get injured between the middle of September and the middle of October. That is a massive chunk of time that Mike O'Shea is going to have to massage. And it's funny thinking about the approaches he could take because it's, it's unheard of. Like you don't have that situation. It's like, would he, would he rotate like, Hey, Zach is going to play every other week for a month. Would he rotate Ellingson and Sean where it's like, one of you guys is going to play, but not the other. And I'll just kind of like move people around. And then as we get closer <laughs> to the playoffs, we'll start to like put together our full lineup to put guys in. He's at that point, Michael Shea and Kyle Walters are literally playing fantasy football because they're like, I don't know. I'm just going to sit this guy this week because I don't know if it's, you know, I don't want to play him right now. <laughs> and it's well, like, it's crazy to think that in professional football, you could just be like our best players. Mm, let's platoon them because I don't, I don't think we have to do this every week. Well, so another version of that is, you know, it's the rest versus rust that you see in either preseason, right? Or yeah. like that the buy the buy that you see you know you always hear like the golden state warriors when they were playing like oh the wrestlers they haven't they haven't played a meaningful game and and that's a real thing yeah because when you don't play real live you're not tackling in practice you're not doing that for me personally i would i would want to play because i know that if i didn't play for oh my god i couldn't even think of not Dude, playing if, for that long if you get one like if you get a bye week like you guys right where you get a bye yeah. you, don't, you don't have to play in the eastern semi and so you basically like you kind of ratchet things down in the final week of the regular season, like week 21, and then you don't have to play the next week. And then you have to play. It feels like you have two weeks off and you yeah. come back in. That's tough. That's two weeks. They might have five or six where they have the yeah. ability to slow things down. That is way too long. Like it's almost at the point where they've been too good, where they've caused themselves a headache of how do we handle this? I think you just you play them all the way through. You give them maybe yeah. one or two weeks at the end, but you can't, you can't because, and another issue of this is the salary cap. You can't just yeah. keep bringing guys up and, and putting, you know, you're not going to ask Zach, Hey, you're going to have to go on practice roster for this week. So <laughs> we cannot play. He'll be like, uh, no, I'll play. <laughs> yeah. So you can only bring up a certain amount of guys. So you're going to see a lot of them, but yeah. Do you rest the main guys like a Willie Jefferson, a Zach, a Greg, yeah. But I say you can't. And I bet even if you ask them, even if we had them right here, um, they would say, mm, I don't want to rest that much. I'll rest a week, maybe two. Most pro guys would say two's a lot yeah. to rest, but I'll rest a week. And, you know, depending on how banged up they are, I guess you pick and choose. But 
I mean, that's just too long. So yeah. a lot of those guys would be like, nah, I'll just play all the way through, take my last week. My last thought here on Winnipeg-Montreal uh, is that as Trevor fo- was forcing the football and, and trying to be aggressive late in the game, and he threw those two interceptions that basically sealed it, uh, it reminded me a lot of a game last year. And I ha- just mentally, I remembered this game, but I had to go back and check the box score. This was uh, 2021, week 14 of 16, right, that we played because it was a 16-game uh, season with 14 games that were played, uh, just the two bye weeks. And I remembered this. This was the week before Sean McGuire went into Montreal and laid the dud in which Winnipeg was beaten by the Alouettes. Uh, Trevor went 14 of 25 in this game last year in Winnipeg. 14 of 25 last night. Trevor Harris was 16 of 26. Okay. Uh, he, he threw for 177 yards last year in that matchup, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Last night, he had 127 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. It seems like Montreal tried last night to take the things that they had done. Cause I remember that game last year, it was close through three quarters. They were chipping away. And then it was like, one mistake and all of a sudden Trevor's trying to force and it's out of his comfort zone a little bit and he's throwing it into traffic or he's just trying to be aggressive more than he likes to and it's interception interception game's over and the exact same thing happened last night and I was like man when you are playing with a a minuscule difference between we're squeaking out a close win or we're losing by 15 points that's exactly what that looks like is, That's what it comes down to. Yeah, yeah, you fall into that pit hole. But let's get down to, uh, for a couple of minutes here at least, uh, Calgary-Ottawa. I've got the call of that game coming up tonight, CFL and TSN. Uh, I will be in the booth with Matt Dunnigan, which should be a lot of fun because we have a whole bunch of stuff to talk about in this one that we've kind of been bouncing around for the last couple of days. Uh, one of which is Bo Levi-Mitchell is going to pass Henry Burris for first all-time in Calgary Stampeders passing yardage. He only needs 143 yards to be able to pass Smile and Hank. Um, I mean, it, Dunnigan made a great point when I talked to him the other day on, on Zoom was, it seems like everywhere you look, every franchise, there's another Henry Burris record that's that's getting <laughs> knocked down. And it's because he played for, you know, three, four different teams and yeah. he had success everywhere he went. And everybody's making a big deal about like, oh, there goes another smile and hang record or, you know, it gets torn down and his legacy gets weakened. And, and Dunnigan's point was, you got to be freaking good to set a bunch of franchise records in a bunch of different franchises. Like, yeah. to, to go and that's to why you went in the Hall of Fame. Yeah. Right. I don't know. Whoever's saying that, I mean, those guys <laughs> send them my way. Whoever's saying that, send them my way because there's a clowns. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. that's, that's so dumb that they would say, oh, it's tarnishing. It's like, no, it's it's one guy that has to play at these franchises for a long time yeah. in order to break his right. Oh, and then guess what? He's got another one over at another place in Ottawa. He's got and another one over at this place. Even though it wasn't a long Get time in here. Hamilton, like the impact that he had on Hamilton was was big. Like the Hen- Henry now, and it's funny that that you bring up that because when we talk about the the Trevor Harris versus the like you know Zach or a bow in this situation where they can sling it out. Henry was a guy that changed our defense Mm. because what he could do is you always in a scouting report, you always look at this. Okay. You know, where other than the, where does he like to throw, you know, what direction, blah, 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 blah. Can he make every throw? Yeah. And Henry was the only one that I can remember that we would have to game plan differently and be like, he can throw that wide side hook on a rope so it can be out there. So we can't just take our field corner and have him high helping out everybody. 
And if we have our field corner low and that half doesn't get over the top, right over top of that number one receiver, he can throw a go ball to that number one receiver in stride on the on the field side. And this was when the hashes were, you know, what we were from before. So he could he could throw a go ball in stride, drop it into a bucket on that number one receiver. Like you see a lot of people do the weak side receivers, right? Mm-hmm. The, the X's, the Geno Lewis area. Well, wasn't that- and it was, it was insane to try to game plan against. He changed one of our coverages completely because he could just do that. He could keep the half inside and he could throw it on a rope before anybody could get there. Wasn't that the Ellingson touchdown against Ganey? Like that, in, in the East final. And I know that that was like a little bit of, there were some, variables and circumstances at play but wasn't that a wide side go it was a wide side go yeah Yeah. so we were that situation was different it was like third and 28 or something (laughs) so it's like hey just back up man come on (laughs) like just (laughs) just back up and stay stay in front of them kind of thing but yeah that's that's goes to show you that's one of the clips you can pull up it's he just absolutely lays that thing out there and it was uh it was when he was in ottawa and he was at home we would uh, so a typical defense is we call it cut, yep. where the corner takes anything out to the flats, whether it's a number two running out, a number three running out. So we always used to make the corner take either the number two or number three if they ran an out or anything toward the sideline. And then you would ask the half who goes high, who's a high player in this situation, to work his way over to the number one. Well, Hank could throw it so hard and so far that as soon as that corner would take that that route on and out he would just throw it over the over the half's head by the time he could get there it was insane and nobody else can do that like usually those field halves have enough room where they can just kind of speed turn it's like a punt to go catch it but not with hank he was the one guy that i remember being like well everything i know about defense i don't know anymore (laughs) because we can't play we can't play typical defense against this guy i haven't seen i haven't seen somebody since that so to tarnish his legacy, breaking a couple records. No, but Bo, Bo deserves it. But yeah, yeah. yeah that doesn't tarnish Hank's legacy. It's, it's crazy to believe that Bo is a decade in there in Calgary as well, like 10 years played right. in that spot, right? But, um, I mean, yeah, we got that tonight. We also got uh, Geo, uh, George Hopkins, the equipment manager, is going to have his thousandth game, which to put in perspective, if you, yeah, if you, like I remember Bob Irving, I think the the CJOB play by play voice a couple of years ago hitting 800 games on radio, and yeah. I just I remember thinking, dude, I'm like I'm like 50 in and I'm tired. I was like, <laughs> right. I was like, how do you hit 800? I was like, I that's crazy. Consider myself an experienced vet. Yeah, and then you end up seeing, uh, you know, Geo hitting a thousand. And if you're in the NHL and you're an equipment manager, you're playing 82 games a year and then yeah. playoffs and whatever hitting a thousand is still a big deal because you're like, that's probably a 12, 13 year career of grinding away and traveling with the team and all that. Dude, do you, you play 18 games over a 21 game season, like in the new schedule. Right. And it used to be 18 over 20 before they added in the extra bye week And it's like, that dude has been doing it for 40 plus years. And the, the last thing I'll say on the way out here for this daily news episode is that I feel so fortunate that I was able to have my own, George Hopkins experience because 2013 when I went to Calgary for training camp I walked in and he treated me like I was the first overall pick like yeah. I was just I was the intern kid, and I think that speaks to the character and why he's been able to to have so much success he's so much fun to talk to he has so many stories but I walked into the building and he basically said hey come with me down the hall 
get into the room. He goes, pick a helmet, pick a face mask. I'll put it on for you right now. Pick the number that you want to wear. Uh, you know, you can have it throughout training camp and I'll, I'll put everything up in your locker. It'll be there waiting for you in the morning before first practice. And I'm just like, and like, I'll tell you what, I'll tell you what, those type of people, the strength conditioning coordinator and the equipment manager, or the whatever you want to call the title, yeah. those two have a huge, huge impact on every culture of any team that they're involved with, right? So if you get somebody that's like that, like the guy in Hamilton, Drew Strohschein, same thing. Yeah. They make that culture unbelievable, right? If you get the other end of that, that's when it's tough because they see these players every single day. Yeah, that's so true. So anyways, we're looking forward to celebrating Geo coming up uh, this evening. Red Blacks against the Stampeders. We'll, uh, we'll give you all the nitty-gritty football fun stuff, but I just wanted to mention those two things. Smile and Hank is going to get passed by Bo, and Geo is going to get honored by us. Mike, thank you for this. As always, follow him on social at Daily News 8 is where you can find him. Thanks for tuning in. As always, the Daily News, and we will talk to you coming up next week with a special guest joining mm. us here on the podcast.